the King James. I'll start with the King James. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Living Bible. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. Then we go on to verse 14, which explains verses 1 and 2. In other words, in terms of the revelation. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 in the Living Bible. And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Heavenly Father. Amen. This scripture is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most difficult scriptures in the entire Bible. Maybe it equals the first verse in Genesis 1, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because they are declarations of who God is. It's not a declaration so that people can believe there is a God. We're not dealing with that. The Bible has, gives no proof. The Bible establishes. The Bible declares. The Bible tells us. And I love that. I love the authority of the Word of God. I love the foundation of the Word of God. I love the truth of the Word of God. I love the strength of the Word of God. And uh, the proof of the pudding of this Word is, well... It's been the bestseller ever since it's been out, and it's still the bestseller. You say, well, if it is the bestseller, why hasn't it changed the world? Because uh, producing a book is not going to change the world. What's going to change the world is people believing it. Okay, so that's, that's the difference. The difference lies in the beauty of choice, and we don't always exercise our choice as we should. Now, for the first two or three weeks, we simply talked about the, the beginning, the word, and we understood that the word was Christ. And we understood that he was the creator. And it's beautiful to think of Christ as God, to think of Christ as creator. And then we think in the revelation of creator, then we see him as life. And when we have him as life, we then, and this is beautiful, we then have light. People want light without the life. You can't have the light without the life. Because the light is hidden in the life. That's why people searching for wisdom outside of God will never find it. They may get smart. They may get intelligent. They may have a lot of book knowledge. They may get their PhDs. They may get their MAs. They may get their BAs. They may be scholars renowned through the world. They may know about plutonium and how to split an atom. They may know the power of science. They may know so many things. But, you know, sometimes my heart breaks because I know people that have an alphabet after their name, yet they can't handle life. 
They can't handle the simplicities of life. They can't handle the burdens of life. They can't handle the complexity of life. Uh, there, there are people that have so much to live for in terms of, of, of position, in terms of power, of knowledge, and in terms of money, and yet they're a human disaster. They're, they're a walking time bomb. And you would think that if they had all of that, because you know sometimes being poor and sometimes be, not being too smart, you kind of think if somebody is rich and real smart, woo, they can take off. I mean, those are the rockets, right? They can make it to any planet. Not so. Not so. Because real life and real knowledge and real wisdom is hidden in God. And the only way you can get to God is through his son. And in order to get to his son, you're not going to get his goodies until you get him. Oh, many people want the goodies. Oh, I have people that come and say to me, and this is interesting. Won't you come and speak at our school? Because we feel that what you have to offer is very good for our children. And, and, and I, I'm honored that they invite me. You understand what I'm saying? But you know what they're thinking of? Let me tell you what they're thinking of. They want kids that are bad to not be bad anymore. They want kids that don't have morals to all of a sudden, you know, we can sprinkle a little stardust or moral dust and they might get some. In other words, they want a band-aid for a cancer. And that's exactly what they get. A band-aid for a cancer. No way. So there's people out there saying, oh, I like what you get. I like what, what you say. I like what the people in your church testify. I, I like the fact that they say they used to be this and now they're not that anymore. And they used to be this and they're not that anymore. Oh, that's great. Come and tell us. Come and tell us. Uh, why? They want the light. But you can't have the light until you have the life. Because the light is hidden in the life. And I repeat that for you. And now the great manifestation and the great revelation is in that 14th verse where it simply says, and Christ became a human being. I say it's the most difficult simply because when we touched uh, Genesis 1 and in the beginning God, somebody else says, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's your argument. No, 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 no. That's an established fact. That's truth. And that's the way it is. If you can prove something greater than me, we'll try. The world has not been able to. Do you realize that for me to believe in evolution, I've got to believe in millions and millions and millions and millions, and I wouldn't doubt if I got into the trillions of, 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 of impossibilities. Well, I choose to believe that there is a God who created heaven and earth, and that God gave us his son, and Christ became a human being. That was God's plan. I don't understand it. I don't understand that kind of love. I, I, don't, I don't understand that... that, that uh, what shall we say, that coming from the heavenlies into the earthly. I don't understand how you leave a throne of glory and of light and of power. I, I don't know how you leave omniscience. Uh, I don't know how you leave the presence of angels that glorify you day and night. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that. But I do know this, and I share it with you this morning. That was God's plan, that Christ become a human being. Why? Because we would not have understood anything else. We would not have understood angels. We would not have understood spirits. We would not have understood creatures. We would not have understood any type of revelation, strange, weird, different, beautiful. We wouldn't have understood it, whether it be a cloud that floated down from earth and all of a sudden opened up with great glory and with gifts and with beauty and then closed up and went up again. We'd be there to pick up the goodies, but we wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't understand it. But Christ came as a man, and I love that.
human being and lived here on earth. There are the two factors. He came as a man and he lived here on earth. And in his coming, let me share what the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse said, and come the fullness of time, God sent his son, not a day before, not a day later, in the fullness of time. You see, God has a clock up there and God's clock functions perfectly. God has a timetable for us. God has a timetable for what's happening in this world. And that's why one of, the, one of the, my main uh, situations in life, and don't, don't think it gives me agita, don't think it give, makes me anxious, but I don't want to miss God's timetable. And every now and then I get a little, uh, what shall we say, I get a little shook up. And, and, but God doesn't want you to. God doesn't want you to stand there and say, oh, I don't want to miss what you've got for me. Oh, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Well, forget it. You're a basket case. If it came along, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't see it. You wouldn't understand it. No, he doesn't want us to miss it. But there is a timetable. And folks, let me share something with you about time. There's nothing like time. There's nothing like time. It's one of God's elements. And yet it plays such tricks on us, right? When you're 10, you want to be 20. Anyone went through that stage? Oh, when I was 10 years old, I thought I'd never get old. Oh, I, I, it was such a bore to be 10. I couldn't do the real things. I would watch the young girls going off to uh, gatherings or parties, and, and I would watch the, the grown-up kids doing all of that. And I thought to myself, I'll never get there. I'll never I, attend forever. Isn't that something? Then when I became 20, and all of a sudden I became responsible for my life and responsible for a lot of other things, all of a sudden things started to race a little. But that's okay, because at 20, there's another feeling. It's the feeling of eternal. Why do you think young people are so crazy? Why do you think they get into everything? Because they think they're going to live forever. A young person thinks of his strength, looks in the mirror and says, oh, oh, oh I'm a good looking fellow. <laughs> Girls are nuts about me. I mean, I'm really making time. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You're eternal, young, strong. <laughs> but that's a lie too because it's the age where we should grab what we need most, and it's when we, it doesn't matter to us. It's when we should store up so many things, and they're not important to us. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Where your mother sat for a dozen, dozen years and told you how important an education was, and you insist she was crazy because you were going to make it without an education. Then we get to 30, and we're looking up night courses and we're going night courses, day courses, afternoon courses. You know, we, we, we go here, we go there. Why? Well, what can I tell you? Time. Then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're 40 years old, the big 4-0. Any 40s here? Okay, yeah, that's dangerous time. Because you're not young, but you're not old. Now that's dangerous. Because these things are kind of ridiculous and those things, no. But let me say something. God says to us in the Psalms 90 and 91, and he says it's so beautiful, that we might count our years in such a way that we bring to the heart wisdom. 
So don't, don't get caught up in the treadmill of, I'm too late, I'm too soon. I didn't do what I should have done. I didn't do it. You know, you know what I love about God? In God, no matter how old you are, there's a new beginning. There's always a good morning in God. There's always a today is the day. And this is the day that the Lord hath made. And that's what's beautiful about it. You say, oh, well, wait a minute. That's a game you people play. That's a game you people play. You're always, you're always starting again. You're always getting blessed and you're always... Yeah, that's right. That's right. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. What would we do it? Live in Depression Alley? I don't want to live there. Do I get depressed? Who doesn't? Anybody here that doesn't get depressed? No, there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't. Once again, in the fullness of time, God sent his son... God does things on time. Trust him with your life. Trust him with the times of your life. Trust him with the days of your life. Trust him with the action and the dreams of your life. And remember this, and I'll say it, you say, oh, that's your philosophy now, because you're, 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 you are arriving in May into the 6-0. No, no, no. It takes God time to make us what he wants us to be. You see, God's plans are very interesting. God will prepare you for 60 years, for five years of work, for 10 years of work, for 15 years of work. We don't. We want to send you to a school, and in four years, you're ready. And if you push it a little, we'll give you the MA in a year and a half. And if you push it real hard, hey, you may have your doctorate. Matter of fact, you may almost be able to run it concurrent with I don't know what. Okay? This is what we, this is what we think and dream. Oh, folks. I want to tell you something. I want to tell it to you from the bottom of my heart. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. If you could open a peak hole and see what God has planned for you, you would be sh you'd be shook out of your mind. Okay? God has good things in store for you. God has great plans in store for you. God has his grace in store for you. And more than that, and I'm talking about legitimate things. When I say legitimate things, what I mean is the following. Uh, sometimes people say, uh, but sister, uh, you people always talk about the spiritual part of life, but you know, life has, life has a normal part. Life has a natural part. Life has a, a, a part that has to do with, with down here. Yes, down here, down here. In chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about down here. And he spoke very well about down here. Okay, he talked all about down here. Everything that happens down here. He talked about the struggles down here. He talked about the pains down here. He talked about the jealousies down here. He talked about the judgments down here. And then he went on to speak about the great three, the big three. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Uh, what will I be? What can I tell you? And this is ours. And then, and then he goes on and he says, and don't put your life, don't put your life endeavor into it because this is what the heathens do. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm a heathen. Yeah. If you're only worried about your position in life and what's going to happen to you and how much money you're going to be able to accumulate and how well your budget is set and how well... You know, I'm going to say something crazy, but that's okay. I feel it in my heart. God took the most outrageous risk 
in coming here to save us. It was a risk, because if it wasn't a risk, it would not have been the full redemption that it is. There was a risk involved. And what I want to share with you is this. If God risked everything he had for you, can you not risk everything? Because, you see, with him it was a risk. With you it won't be a risk. You see, in Jesus we've got a sure thing. Do you understand what I mean? And this is so important. It's important that we understand it. It's important that we settle it in our mind. Uh, that Jesus became a man and he dwelt among us. Uh, because he knew and he would get to know through his life. And we would get to know. You say, but why did he have to come as a man? First of all, it, it's, a, it's a situation of identity. It's a situation of identity. Him identifying with us, us identifying with him. Yes, there was an identity. And not only a situation of identity, it was also a situation in which you and I could have the greatest example that ever lived. It's hard to find a perfect example, folks. It's very hard. Matter of fact, there isn't a perfect example. Because when you find a perfect example, there's a flaw somewhere. The only thing is you can't see it. But Jesus is the perfect example. If I want to know how to live on life, all I have to do is read my four Gospels on a daily basis. If I want to know what's happening in this world, all I have to do is go to the Gospels, watch the life of Jesus, watch him walk, watch him talk, uh, uh, watch him operate among the multitudes, uh, uh, see what he, how he dealt with women and how he dealt with the poor and how he dealt with the sick. Hey, how he dealt with the dead. He dealt with every situation of life. And came out on the other side. So we have in him not only a perfection in terms of identification. He identified with us for our sake. And then he became the greatest example that ever lived. And we can't do oh my, my dear people. My dear people. There was once a book written, and it's still written, and you can get it in the Christian book. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? In his steps is the name of the book. But the theme of the book is what would Jesus do? And it brings out a character study of four or five different lives. Situations, very delicate situations, very human, very down to earth. And each situation is taken to, to a man of God. In other words... And the same answer is given to all the situations. What would Jesus do in a case like this? And then starts the prodding and the searching in the scripture. What would Jesus do? And in each case there was an answer. So Jesus does give us the answer. Now the scripture says he became a man. And he dwelt among us. He knows what it is to live down here. He knows what it is to be a part of us. Now let me go on and say, became human being, lived here on earth among us. And this is the difference. He was full. He was full, folks, of loving forgiveness. Oh, I love that. He was full of loving forgiveness. Jesus didn't come and walk the earth. He didn't come and walk the earth like someone said, Now I'm the one that's here to tell you how you sinned. All right, here we go. Pa! Pa! He didn't. You know, the only time... He used the lash, was with religious hypocrisy. Because that's something he can't stand. 
that people get up and say, he said this when he didn't say it. That he can't tolerate. There are things God can't tolerate, folks. You know, they're, they're, you know we, we, we tread a very thin line. A very thin line. And I can't even stop to tell you some of those thin lines. But there are some things that God in heaven simply says, no way. I'm thinking of the death of the Beatles. You say, Sister Amy, they haven't died. Well, they have to what they were. I realize each one is in their own enterprise and one has already been killed. And I'm not laying judgment. I'm just telling you that they shouted to the world that they were more popular than Jesus. And I don't know why. I just uh, kind of think God said that's enough. And it was enough. And it was over. Over the greatest money-making musicians in the entire world. I can go down a list. Voltaire, the pride of uh, French philosophy. Yeah, the pride of French philosophy. The man that was equal to the Socrates and the Plato of Greece. And he looks out on his country and he says, I give you a guarantee. I will eliminate the Bible from the ends of the earth, or at least from my country, before the century is over. Voltaire's home in Paris is the seat of the American Bible Society of Europe. You know, when God says, I've had enough, he's had enough. I mean, that, that's, that's God. I'm thinking of this movie now, The Last Temptation of Christ. I never went to see Jesus Christ Superstar because my Jesus Christ isn't a superstar. So I had no problems with that. I really didn't. People say, oh, listen to the music and listen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Write your lyrics, write your music, have a very good time. I just can't be bothered with it. You see, I know him. I don't want anybody to depict him the way he's not. And he never was a superstar. And even when we want to make him a superstar, he walks away. When we're all cheering and cheering and cheering, we have our big rallies. Jesus! Jesus! Jesus, I think, walks away from half of them. He leaves us all alone, you know, you're screaming and shouting and everything. He says, no, no, honey, that's not me. And it's not. The last temptation, I, I think of the audacity, the audacity, last temptation. Huh, we have the temptations of Jesus. Tempted in everything humanity could ever be tempted of. Tempted in terms of turning stones to bread. And turn bread today to our knowledge and to money and to uh, things that you have and things that you need. And what, what, what is the outcome? I love, I, I, love, I love his battle. I love the simplicity of his battle. It is written. And it was over. That's all. <gasps> Go to the temple and to throw yourself from the pinnacle because listen to what the scripture says. Oh, the devil then gets a hold of scripture. As you're coming down... Angels break loose from heaven and their wings catch you just before you splash and they pick you up. That's the best show on the face of the earth. Better than Barnum and Bailey. Better than the triple somersault. Come on! It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
What is it? Simple. Look at those kingdoms. You've come to buy them. You've come to be a human sacrifice. You, you don't have to. I'll give them to you. I got a shortcut. Take them. He had stolen them. And he was saying, I stole it. I'll give it back to you. Don't go to Calvary. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy soul. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is written. The devil didn't have, didn't have a way in. It is written. Now some yo-yo comes and tells me this, a last temptation. Well, his Jesus may have a last temptation. Mine didn't. Now let me, let me explain to you what happens at Calvary. The Bible tells us that he carried our sins. But the depth of the carrying is a little bit more than just that. Because when you say, Jesus washed away my sins, okay? You hearing me, Damaris? You're talking about Damaris' sins, okay? When Drusilla says, he washed away all my sins, okay? Now, there are sins you people haven't even ever gotten into. There are sins you don't know nothing about. There are sins that haven't crossed your mind. That's why it's not a matter of carrying our sins. It's a matter of becoming sin. There's a great difference. That's all-inclusive. That's the madman that riddles out a dozen people in a restaurant. That's the sin of the filth and the wars and everything else. That's sin beyond the comprehension, human comprehension. That's sin that goes into the depth of the debauchery, the lasciviousness of our human nature. You're talking about sins we know nothing about. He became that. That was the great moment. Every quiet time he ever had in the hills, every hour he spent with his father, every morning break that he went to the seashore to talk to his father, and every night that he stayed all night long, the 40 days and the 40 nights without eating. All of that was for one reason. For that great moment when he became sin. I do not understand it. My human mind is boggled. My understanding can't. Bring it out to you as I would want to. But the Holy Spirit can. He became sin for us. And that was the purpose of taking on a human body. And that was the reason for becoming flesh and dwelling and living among us. That was the reason. It was the reasons that he might become our substitute, that he might stand in our stead, that he might take our sins, that he might be our everything, that he might 
redeem us as only he could. And that redemption was perfect. And although the cry sounds so negative, but it was a perfect cry. Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew why. It's just the human body. It's the vessel that's parched by the son of Palestine. It's the tongue that's swollen for lack of water and because of heat. It's a body that's going into this horrible situation of pain and anguish and agony. And at that moment, he's loaded down with the sins of the world. My sins are painful and my sins are ugly. My sins are very embarrassing. And my sins are something I don't want anybody to know. How must have been the weight for all of the Amy's in the world, all of the Al Capones in the world, all of the crazy people in the world that have been possessed, possessed by sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For God always forsakes sin. For God always turns away from it. For that's what separates man from God. So God had to handle it. And the only one he could handle it through was through his son, Jesus. So that's why when some ignoramus, and I would say it to his face, comes up and talks to me about the last temptation and portrays it from Calvary with visions of nudity and with visions of uh, sexual encounters. Uh, I have to say, young man, you know nothing about my master. You know nothing about his plan. You know nothing about his love. You know nothing about his caring. The only thing you know is Hollywood. The only thing you know is big bucks. The only thing you know is you want to put your name on some big pedestal and say you were the director of the year. Oh, my good man. Bye-bye, birdie. It's over. It's over. You say, Sister Amy, you got a good argument. Why don't you go there? Get a plaque. Stand outside the theater. No, I don't have to do that. You say, well, what would you tell us as Christians? Well, once again, we're dealing with time. Would you understand me, please? At the time that I've walked with God, I have found out that you handle children from the ages of, let's say, 1 to 15 or 1 to 18. And my children are sitting in this congregation, and from that age, I call the shots. It wasn't a matter of uh, how do you feel about it. Does it feel good to you? Is it all right? Oh no, if the word says you can't do it, and if it's not right to do, you just can't do it. It's over. No arguments. Oh, but sister, we're bringing up children in a different world today. I know that. I know that. And I'm not saying I was better than you. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not even saying I had better children than you. I'm not saying that either. I'm simply saying that that's where I stood. Now, you stand there. You say, oh, but suppose my joke. No, 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 no. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you standing. And how do we stand as he stood in loving kindness, in loving forgiveness, in loving, uh, what shall we say, in consideration of who they are? Because it's not a matter of slamming a no and slamming a yes. 
It's saying no, and then, hey, come on, let's talk about this. No matter how much we talk, it's still going to be saying no. It's still going to be no, but we can talk about it. Some people will say, well, you're my pastor. Would you give me permission to go? You're old enough to know if you want to go, if you don't want to go. I will tell you this as your pastor, I'm not going. Jesus came to do two things, to teach and to be an example. And I'm teaching you that it's garbage. And I'm telling you I'm not going. So there's nothing else I can do. You say, but wouldn't it be interesting if we went and so then we could really? No. I was going to say something you can't say in the pulpit. And yes, you can. You don't have to get into a pile of garbage to know it's garbage. You have to have good eyesight, okay? You don't have to, you don't have to say, well, I'm not too sure it's garbage. If you can't tell by the smell, if you can't tell by the looks, you got to go in it, go in it. But you're going to come out knowing what? It's garbage. It's garbage. My dear people, our Savior became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love this. And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. They're the two factors. They're the two factors. Feed your children loving forgiveness. Feed your children truth. And when that truth comes in them, they will have light. And when that light starts to operate, you'll hear Jesus echoing in their soul. I'm the light of the world. And he that walks in me will not stumble in darkness. Why? Because it's the light of the world that helps us to see what's there. And with that light, we'll know which way to go. We're going to celebrate communion at this time. Communion is that covenant. Jesus made a covenant with Israel and it still isn't broken and it won't be broken. He'll fulfill it. He'll fulfill it. Jesus is dealing with an Israel that it's interesting. They have a flag, but they don't have an altar. My God wants to give them an altar and a flag. They have a flag, but they don't have an altar. And all this is prophetic, folks. It's written in the word of God. And there will come a day when they see he, or the one they bruised, the one they killed, and they will cry out. I don't want to go into that prophetic angle of it. What I simply want to tell you this day is that his covenant, which he shared with the disciples in Holy Communion, was so beautiful. This is my body. Now do you understand why he came in flesh? That body had to be broken for you and for me. This is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Hallelujah. There's no other way, folks. <laughs> there is no other way. Then he says to his disciples, and every time you sit down, do it in remembrance of me. That I came in loving kindness. That I came in loving forgiveness. That I came in truth. And that I am your light. And as you take Holy Communion this morning, I want you to think of Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, oh how lovely John says it, and we beheld. That's why when they throw him on an island all alone, what he had seen and what he had heard was enough for him. He had seen the Jesus of the walk of Galilee. 
He had seen the Jesus of the Mount of Olives. He had seen the Jesus of Transfiguration. Hallelujah. He had seen the Jesus that broke bread and fed 5,000. He had seen the Jesus whose parched body was broken. He'd seen that. Now they take him to this deserted island and they say, you're to live here. Boats only come every five or six years because it wasn't totally desolate, folks. There was, there was habitation, but not enough to stir anything. And he says, he's not worried. Isn't that something? You know why? Because no matter where they put him, he carried his master with him. <laughs> That's why a Christian shouldn't get angry at a traffic snare. Oh, you say, well, sister, but I have to be there at 10 o'clock. Look, at 10 to 10. Look where I am. This traffic hasn't moved in 15 minutes. Huh? Any of you in that kind of traffic? Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? But you know something? Fuss about what you can do. Except what you can't do. And you know what you do? Sit there patiently. And if you got a car with a tape, make sure you have a Christian tape. Throw something in. Start worshiping and praising the Lord. I do. Go into a doctor's office. He says, I'll take you in a few minutes. An hour and a half goes by. You don't see the doctor. You don't see anybody come out. I, 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 I've just found out the doctors have back doors. I see people go in. I think they go through a hole and they, somebody shuts it up. And that's the end of that. Because I never see anybody come out. Oh, but folks, those hours in those rooms, I have no, pro I have no, pro I have no problem with hours in rooms. Because you see, I'm, I'm, I'm backed up on so many hours of prayer and praise that any minute you give me is good. And if nobody's looking, you'll find me. They're looking. <laughs> the idea is keep that altar lit. Say amen.